0: Well, here is the situation. We have been studying through the book of Philippians. At least we spent several weeks in Philippians chapter 1. And then last Wednesday night, we were scheduled to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which is where we're going to be tonight. One of the greatest Christological passages in all the New Testament, probably the greatest passage in all the New Testament about the person of Jesus Christ. In Bible times, more than likely, these verses that we're going to be looking at tonight were a hymn. And the believers would get together, and they would sing this hymn. And so tonight we're going to be thinking about that. And this passage of Scripture tells us some tremendous things about Jesus. Now, I want to ask a question that I know everybody's going to say amen to, but I still it'll just get us started pretty easy. If you love Jesus, say amen. <laughs> if you have ever prayed and asked God to make you more like Jesus say amen well I've prayed that too and I think we all have and I can remember different times and seasons of my life I used to pray that a lot when I was living in Fort Worth going to seminary and I would normally have my classes in the morning and in the afternoon I would go to the library and uh and I would before I studied I would have my quiet time and I can still remember up on the third floor of that library where a chair that I would sit in and pray and read the Bible. And one of the things that I prayed then, seems like I prayed it more then than I've been praying it in recent years. I probably need to get back to, it's in my heart. It's just that I remember I verbalized it more then. Seems like now I'm praying on other things. But I would say, Lord, help me to be more like Jesus in my attitude, in my behavior. In my desire to do your will, help me to be more like Jesus. Now, that is a wonderful prayer to pray. But how many of us have learned that when we ask God to make us more like Jesus, sometimes he allows us to face some of the challenges in our lives that Jesus had in his life. And sometimes we go through something and it's hard and painful and heartbreaking and disappointing and whatever other word and we say, God, why are you allowing? I've done this before. God, why are you allowing me to go through this? And somehow in the back of my mind, that thought comes to me. The answer to that question is, well, you asked me to make you like Jesus. Jesus went through something similar. Now, if you want to be like Jesus, you've got to go through some of the things that he went through. Now, tonight, as we think about Jesus, now, I think most of the time when we say, God, help me to be more like Jesus, what we mean by that is, help me not to sin. <laughs> help me to be holy and pure, and that's so important. But tonight, in these verses, while that certainly all applies, we're thinking tonight more specifically about being like Jesus in our attitude. And so the message tonight is about your attitude. And so if I were to ask you tonight, What kind of attitude do you have? Good attitude, a bad attitude, a consistent attitude, an inconsistent attitude? What kind of attitude do you have? Well, it's a good question. But Jesus, had we been on the earth with Him, with those disciples for those three years, and we could have observed Jesus in every imaginable situation, we would have noticed some things about him. And one of the things we would have noticed is this. He has an incredible attitude. I mean, Jesus had the best attitude of anybody who's ever lived. Now, as I thought about that today, and even as I try to process that in my mind, like, if I'm listening to somebody say tonight, Jesus had a good attitude, we need to be more like Jesus. Well, like, in my mind, this is wrong but in my mind, I think, well, okay, if Jesus always had a good attitude, that must mean that Jesus just went around smiling all the time. He was giddy. Jesus just kind of giddy. Well, I personally believe Jesus smiled a lot and that Jesus certainly had the joy of the Lord in his heart. He is the Lord. But, but I don't, I, Jesus, the reason I believe Jesus was happy and smiled a lot, children were drawn to him. And children are not drawn to unhappy people. So Jesus was happy. But in the New Testament, we don't find Jesus giddy and just smiling, you know, all the time, even though he was happy. I think sometimes when we say, well, I want to have a better attitude, we think, well, that's what I've got to do, just put on a smile and go. Well, we should put on a smile and go if the smile we put on is real. If it's not, it's phony baloney, and Jesus himself would call us on that. I was thinking today just of some examples in the New Testament, in the Gospels, of Jesus uh, not being giddy at all. I think sometimes we think, well, if I have a good attitude, that just, that, what that means is we just have to, uh, w- we have to get along to go along. <laughs> and we never address anything because, after all, we wouldn't want to do anything that would be uncomfortable on anybody. And yet Jesus, I was thinking today, on one occasion in Luke chapter 13, some people said something to Jesus about Herod, who was one of the rulers of that day, Herod the Great's son, one of his sons. And Jesus said to the people who mentioned Herod, here's, here's a quote from Jesus, go tell that fox. And then he gave the message. Now, when Jesus called Herod a fox, that doesn't mean that Herod was as sly as a fox, although he probably was, but that's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't, that's not what Jesus was getting at. In Bible times, a fox was an unclean animal. I went to Luby's last night, and as I was selecting my meat item, a fox was not one of the options on the cafeteria line. I chose something else. You don't, they don't serve fox. Why? Because fox is an un, and a fox is an unclean animal. And so when Jesus said, "You go tell that fox," Jesus wasn't giddy or Herod had married his brother's wife. And Jesus didn't just have the attitude, well, to get along, to go along, we've got to get along, and let's just all wrap our arms around Herod and tell him it doesn't matter that he's living with his brother's wife and that this is a sin in God's eyes, and none of it, no, gee, so a good attitude, and even the attitude of Jesus doesn't mean that we're that we're somehow phony or fake or not real or don't we don't address anything. I was thinking today in Matthew chapter 23 about the religious leaders of, of Jesus' day. And if you want to read uh, a a verbal denunciation of the religious elite of Jesus' time, read that chapter, because Jesus, verse after verse after verse after verse, is saying to them, you hypocrite, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. And he said to them, you people are like whitewashed tombs. You're clean and pretty on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. Now, that did not get Jesus elected the most popular person in Capernaum. He didn't get the man of the year award after saying that to the religious leaders. In fact, it was language like that that got Jesus put on a cross just a few years later. But, so he had a great attitude, but that doesn't mean that Jesus was a weakling who never wanted to ruffle anybody's feathers. Think of it this way. Jesus would rather ruffle your feather, feathers, feathers and my feathers, so that we could get saved and go to heaven, then let us go to hell with unruffled feathers. And so Jesus was like that. I was thinking today about not only Herod and the Herods of his day and the hypocrites of his day, but I was thinking about the hucksters of his day. In John chapter 2, Jesus walked in the temple. This happened twice. And he, he gets to the temple at, and he sees that there are these money changers. When people would come to Jerusalem at the Passover, they would come from all over the world and if they were devout Jews they had to pay if they were conscientious they wanted to pay a temple tax but the temple tax couldn't just be from any currency in any country so they would come to the temple with their we would say with our dollars and they would convert those dollars into shekels but the money changers were ripping the people off it wasn't an even it wasn't an even swap they were getting rich Because we had the wrong currency. And others were selling these animals. You know, at Passover, they were expected to to offer up an animal for a a lamb for the sacrifice. But if you had come from Ethiopia or some long distance, you wouldn't want to carry a lamb or a sheep. You would just buy that when you got to Jerusalem. But the people in the temple were ripping the people off. And they were getting rich. While these people were trying to do the right thing and offer up their Passover sacrifice. And so Jesus came into the temple... And interestingly, it says he made a a whip of cords. Now you think about that. Here are some cords. And Jesus is putting those cords together. It says to me that even when Jesus was firm, he never just flew off the handle. He He didn't have a fit of rage. He sat down, he got these cords, he turned them into a whip, he came in there, he cracked the whip, he turned the tables over, and he ran them out. But he didn't do that in a fit of rage. But I'm saying, when we see that side of Jesus, we say, now wait a second, that's not how I picture Jesus. I picture Jesus smiling and the children coming up to him and, and hugging people and healing people and, and being gentle and all the, well, he, he was that. So I think I'm saying tonight, the beginning of this message, as we think about the importance of having a good attitude, and I want to have one, and you want to have one, and God wants us to have one, and Jesus is our quintessential example of how to have a good attitude, but that doesn't mean that we're weak. It doesn't mean that we're passive, and it doesn't mean that we don't deal with things because Jesus dealt with all those things. So when we think about having a good attitude, first and foremost, it is in our heart. Is our heart right with God and is our heart right with people or or have we become bitter and angry and we are flying off the handle and and we just got a rotten sour attitude well God wouldn't want us to have that but neither would he want us to fake it listen sometime I've heard somebody say fake it till you make it well I guess it would be better to fake it than to just be rude to somebody I mean unnecessarily rude But it really, there's not anything in the New Testament that says, here's a tip on living the Christian life. Just fake it. That is is opposite of God. God wants it to be real, and so I'm saying all that by by way of introduction so that we don't get a distorted view of Jesus. We have to have a New Testament picture, a gospel picture of who Jesus really is. He's confronting all kinds of things, and he's sometimes uh, making people angry, but he's doing it in love and he's doing it sometimes with great firmness, but it's always the truth. And so he is our example. So beginning in verse 5, I want us just to read through verse 11 and let us just hear this beautiful hymn, this beautiful Christological passage. This is the high watermark of Christology, a study, a theology of the person of Jesus Christ. And here we begin. Paul said, let this mind be in you "...which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation." Some of the translations say, "...but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men." And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, two weeks ago, as we studied the first few verses of chapter 2, Paul is talking there about the importance of humility, the importance of selflessness instead of selfishness. And in fact, if you look back in verse number 3, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also for the interest of others. And so Paul is saying, be humble, don't be selfish, think of others more than you think about yourself. And then he uses Jesus as his illustration of all of that. And he begins, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so as I think about this passage, and as I think about our own lives, I think, about, I think this, God, how can I have a better attitude How can my attitude not be phony and fake and not dealing with anything, just put my head in the... No, that's not even... God wouldn't expect that. God wouldn't want that. God would be disappointed in that. But how can I have... The same attitude that Jesus Christ has or that he had when he was on the earth. And so tonight, I want to mention four words. And you can see the blanks in your outline. And I think these four words sum up what we're reading about in this particular passage of Scripture. Attitude number one is the word humility. Humility, again, in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself... And became obedient to the point of death. And so the whole thing about Jesus that makes him unique and in his own category is his humility. In fact, back in verse 7 when it says, He made himself of no reputation or he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. What does it mean? What did Jesus empty himself of? When Jesus came to the earth, I mean, that question has caused all kind of theological schisms through the last 2,000 years. Some say, well, when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself of his deity, that while he was on earth, he was just a man. He was no longer God for those 33 years while he was on the earth. Wrong. Jesus did not empty himself of deity. What he emptied himself of was the privileges of deity the privileges that he had had with God in heaven before he came to earth. He emptied himself of those things. Think about this. Before Jesus came to earth, he had, and I was reading today, John MacArthur says it this way. I thought it was a wonderful way to say it. He had face-to-face communion with his Father. I mean, he was right there in heaven with God the Father. When he came to the earth, he, didn't, he had fellowship with his Father, but it was not, he couldn't see heaven and he couldn't see his Father. When Jesus was in heaven before he came to earth, he had all the riches that, of, I mean, he owned everything. He had everything. But when he came to earth, he emptied himself of those riches. In fact, in one place he says this, talking about foxes again, foxes have holes to live in, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't even have a house. He emptied himself of all those riches. Why did he do that? To come to the earth, to live a sinless life, to die a substitutionary death so that we could be saved. And so we have to have humility in our lives. And as I was thinking about that today, it raises this question. As I think about my life and you think about your life, what are some things that we need to empty ourselves of? I mean, we all have things in our life that from time to time, hopefully not all the time, but from time to time, that we need to empty ourselves. Well, Jesus emptied himself of some pretty big things, and we say, well, I need to empty myself of some things as well. And then the second word is the word obedience. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so his obedience, one of the ways to have a good attitude is to just do what God tells you to do. I mean, in and, and, and my own life, and I'm sure you've found this too, if I'm obedient to God, if I'm walking in the light, if I'm doing what He expects me to do, I have a much better attitude. If I'm living in disobedience or, unbroken fe- or broken fellowship, rather, then my attitude goes right down the tube. So obedience, that we would be obedient. And here when it says, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, that's extreme obedience. That Jesus, knowing the Father's will from eternity past, knowing that in order to be obedient to the Father's will, it was expected of Him to die on that cross to pay for our sins. And yet He did that, even the death of the cross. And then the third word, I think, if we're going to have the right attitude, is patience. Is patience. Because in verse 9 it says, Therefore God also has highly exalted Him... And given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And we'll read the rest of that in a moment. But the point is, on patience, that Jesus had to go through the humility, the humbling of himself. And he had to go through the obedience, even death on the cross, before he ever experienced the exaltation before God exalted him. In other words, Jesus is not only, not even not just on the cross, but before the cross. People are saying things to Him, being rude to Him, insulting him on the cross, while he's dying. People are saying, if you're the Son of God, get out off that cross. Prove it. If, if, if you're the Son of God, get down from there and prove it to all of them. I mean, they're just taunting Jesus and he's just taking it and he's not responding and he's humbling himself, and he's staying obedient, and yet after he died, and then he was buried, and then three days later, what happened? The exaltation, the first part of the exaltation, the resurrection, when God exalted Jesus. The principle we saw two weeks ago, Matthew 23, 12, if we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. If we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. In the Passion and the Crucifixion, what did Jesus do? He humbled Himself. On Easter Sunday morning, what did God the Father do? God exalted Him. And then 40 days later, the Ascension, Jesus is taken back to Heaven. And then He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And He's in the exalted place today at the right hand of God the Father. But the exaltation never would have happened without the humiliation and without the obedience And so we have to be patient. We have to wait for God to somehow honor our obedience and somehow for God to bless our obedience. Jesus had to wait, and so do we. Let me give you a scripture verse. Just jot this down. In Psalm 110, in verse number 1, David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, when he says, The Lord said to my Lord, He's saying, God the Father said to the Messiah. You remember in the New Testament, they were calling Jesus the Son of David. And Jesus basically said to them, why do you call me the Son of David? and, And he quotes this Psalm 110 verse 1. He said, why do you call me the Son of David? How can I be the Son of David if David called me Lord? And he's quoting this Psalm. But the point here is, did you know there's a sense in which even now, in heaven... Jesus is waiting for vindication he's waiting for his enemies to be brought to judgment and he and it's and it says the Lord God the Father said to my Lord the Messiah sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool that hasn't happened yet that won't happen till after the final judgment and so even today yes he's been exalted Jesus in the exalted place but he himself is waiting on vindication in his particular case, and that vindication will come at the end. And so it says to me, as it pertains to our attitude, one of the worst things, one of the worst qualities a person can have is impatience. And if you have impatience, it will negatively affect your attitude. Jesus was patient, and he knew if he would humble himself that God would eventually exalt him. That has happened. Full vindication is coming. And the other word I would use today is we want to think about having a good attitude. We humble ourselves. Ask yourself this question. In every situation, what is the most humble thing that I could do here? What is the most humble thing that I could say here? And whatever that is, more often than not, that's the right thing. And then the obedience. What is it that God has told me to do? And then the patience. After we've humbled ourselves and been obedient, we wait for God to honor that. And then the last word I'm using here is the word prayer. Therefore God, verse 9, also has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, now watch this, every knee should bow, not most knees, not some knees, but every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. There are people tonight who are under the earth and in a place called Hades and there are some demons tonight under the earth in the most remotest part of Hades, a place called Tartarus. The, it's just the darkest part of darkness. And one day that all turns into hell. And then Jesus says, in, and Paul says in verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is saying there is coming a day when every knee shall bow before Jesus and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Think about this. There is coming a day when everybody who has ever lived who's living now, or who has ever lived. Well, every last one of us will say the same thing at the same time, and we will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be the first time in the history of the world that everybody is saying the same thing at the same time. Fox, CNN, and MSNBC will all have the same message, and they don't have the same message now. You watch those three stations, and you think, I think this is three different countries. What, are we, what is this? This is not the same message. Something's got to be true, but something must be false. This is not the same. But there's coming a day when all the newscasters, be they liberal or conservative, they will say the same thing at the same time. Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody from every religion, buddhist Muslims, atheists, Jews, Hindus, Christians, everybody from around the world at the same time will say, "Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." There's coming a day when we're all going to say the same thing at the same time, and what we're going to say is, "Jesus is Lord." I mean, it, think you just think about that. You think about in our day, how wonderful it would be we can't come together around anything as a nation. We can virtually agree on nothing. But one day, we will agree on the main thing. And that's why we always say at First Baptist, listen, we want to be a Jesus church. We want to come together around the person of Jesus Christ. What are we saying when we say that? We're saying we want to do what the New Testament says will one day happen. We want to lead as many people as we can to say at the same time that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I say in prayer, when we want to have a good attitude. How do we have a good attitude? We have a good attitude In part, by spending time in prayer. You know, you become who you're like. You become who you're with. You become like who you're with. If you are with a negative person, you'll become that way potentially in time. The Bible says if you're with a person with no real morals or values, you might become like that. The Scripture says in 1 Corinthians, bad company corrupts good character. But if we're with others who love Jesus, who believe in Him, then we'll become more like them, and then we'll become more like Jesus. But even apart from them, if we just spend time in prayer, we're with God, and we can become more like Him by being in His presence. And so as I think about this passage of Scripture that tells us about Jesus' attitude, not weak, not a pushover, not somebody who's scared to deal with a problem, no, But someone who had humility, who had obedience, patience, whose life certainly was characterized by prayer. You know, as I think about Jesus and as I think about a good attitude, I think about the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And one of those Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I can remember when I was in school and I was being taught all these words. And the professor said, now that word meek there, it doesn't mean weak. Jesus didn't say blessed are the weak, blessed are the meek. And that word literally means strength under control. And the professor used an illustration I never have forgotten. He said it is a picture of a wild horse that has been broken so that it can be ridden. After that horse has been broken, it has the same strength that it had before it was broken. But in its brokenness now, it's usable. And so what Jesus is saying is, we need to be broken. And then what Paul is saying here is, you want to be like Jesus? You want to have the humility and the attitude and all that that he had? It all begins by emptying yourself. And sometimes we have to empty ourselves of, of sin and those things. Sometimes we have to empty ourselves of pride. There are a lot of things that can build up and we need to, to empty ourselves. And I would encourage you tonight, I, I said a few weeks ago in, in one of the messages, I, I, sh- I shared something then that I had heard Dr. Ed Young say on television a few, weeks before I pre- a few days before I preached that sermon. He said every night before he goes to bed, he prays. And he says, God, before I go to bed tonight, and he prays it in the morning. He said, I want to just give you myself, S-E-L-F. He said, I surrender, that's the S, my will to you. I empty myself of whatever is on his heart that night or that morning. That's the E, empty. I love you, Lord, and I ask you to fill me with your spirit. I heard him say that a few months ago, and I've been trying to do that most every night. I don't do it as much in the morning as I, I think to do it at night. I don't think to do it in the morning. But I'll tell you, it's been a blessing to me before I get in my bed just to say that little prayer. God, before I go to bed tonight, I give you myself. I surrender my will, not my will but yours. I empty myself. And depending on what's in there, that won't have to empty. Come out. I love you, Lord. That's the L. And I ask you to fill me with your spirit. You know, that, that, that little acrostic as well as anything else sums up the attitude of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that attitude that he had could be the attitude that we have so that we, like that horse, could still be as strong as we ever were, but so that having been broken, we can be useful in the Father's service and that, uh, that we could be, as it were, ridden by the Holy Spirit to accomplish those things that he has for us in our lives. Amen. And so, Father, I thank you tonight for this beautiful passage, this hymn in, the, in, the, uh, in New Testament times about Jesus. And, Lord, I, as I read this fifth verse again, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. I pray that his mind, that his heart would be in us. I pray that it would be in me. And, God, I pray that that we would be vessels that you could use in a wonderful way in the world in which we live now with your head bowed and eyes closed tonight is there anything in in your life tonight that doesn't belong there a sin we're talking about attitudes tonight an attitude what's the opposite of humility pride well that's not good what's the opposite of obedience disobedience, rebellion, stubbornness. Well, that's not good. You need to empty yourself of that. What's the opposite of patience? Impatience. Well, sometimes we all need to empty ourselves of these things. And what's the opposite of prayer? A schedule that's just too busy and Priorities that maybe just or that, that just aren't right so the opposite of prayer would be neglect so we have to empty ourselves of these things Father I pray that our attitudes would honor you don't let us be fake trying to look spiritual that's, not, that's just disgusting God help us to be real Help us to have a good attitude without even trying to have a good attitude. I think if we're trying, that may be an indication that something's wrong. If we'll just humble ourselves before you and empty ourselves and keep our hearts right, we'll have a good attitude automatically. And God, I pray you would help us at that point. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, before we dismiss this service, I wonder tonight, does anybody need to be saved? We saw about 15 people get saved last Sunday. And I just wonder tonight in this service, is there anybody here that would say, John, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't have the assurance of my salvation. I don't have peace. I don't know what would happen to me if I should die or when I should die. Pray this prayer, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. And make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Make me more and more like Jesus. Be gentle with me, but make me like Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.